So, you know, um, in the podcast world and YouTube world and social media, there's this app called Patreon where a lot of people that have a page like Restored Gospel or other people, they have uh, where you can donate, you know, one or five or ten dollars a month. And it's just a way to make income to help support the podcast. And then only those people that pay have access to extra material. Okay. So I don't know if I told you or not, but I set up a Patreon page a while ago, and I, I call it off the record, and I just leave the recorder going when you think we're <laughs> oh, done and, and get all of your personal thoughts on there <laughs> and just put Mike. it out there. It's really been going well. <laughs> so we're up to a million viewers, which is like much more than the regular. <laughs> yeah, you're funny. <laughs> they like all the inside scoop. They yeah. don't want the content. <laughs> I kid. We have no Patreon page. Nah, but we do like and thank all of you guys who listen. Appreciate it. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you, buddy? Good, good. Any personal, intimate thoughts you want to share? I'm, I'm no, not recording yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, you know me. It's like I'm really not a conversationalist. We've had this heart-to-heart conversation more than once, and so it's fun. I was just visiting with you and seeing where we go. But uh, Well, we're approaching the Easter season. Actually, when by the this, time this airs, I think. I think Easter will be over, so... Uh, no, no better time than the president to reflect on what we've just gone through. And, and uh, we had morning worship on Palm Sunday and talked a little bit about Jesus' entry into the Jerusalem the week before he was going to be killed. And my friend David Gilmore, this was always his favorite holiday, Palm Sunday, Christian holiday, um, or respected day, what you want to holiday seems the wrong context for that, but he but loves where it. the word comes from. Holy day, holy day. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. then it's perfect. Word. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think he loved it because there, the crowd there was, uh, was laying down their palms and welcoming and, and recognizing Jesus as the King. And Dave had a wonderful sermon, uh, last week at Coburn road. I will try to remember to put a link into this show uh, I would recommend everybody listen to it because he changed the perspective on that day, and he talked about the parable of the seed of the sower and the seed and the responses to that seed mm-hmm. in a very unique way that I still remember the context of the entire sermon. There's some interesting nicknames that are given out for those people, but really, the premise was that on that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, there were people that whose hearts were fertile and whose ground was fertile that, that wanted him no matter what. And then there was people whose ground was hard and there was thorny ground and there was good ground. And, and some people wanted Jesus to be the, a lot of them wanted them to be the political deliverer. So to get rid of the Romans, that they're no longer under the Roman rule. And instead he, he was this deliverer to deliver their hearts from the, from the world, the wicked world, and show them how they can be free no matter what state they're in. So we all have these responses to God, and some of us at different times in our life have thorny ground and hard ground, and we have good ground. And the goal is to keep coming back to that good ground and nourishing the seeds that we know to be true. 
so that he can continue to grow. And, and I don't know that any of us always are in that parable are, are, are one or the other, but we kind of morph back and forth based on where we're going in life. And the goal is, is to continually or, or more often than not have that good ground where the Spirit can work with us, right, and entice us, and we, we give in to those enticings. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So go listen to that. I'll put a link in the show notes if you haven't heard it yet. So what do you got, brother? Oh, just enjoying being with you, man. Um, you know, it's been interesting in class, not to bring up the classes specifically, but the the journey for me recently has been um, trying to teach what the Book of Mormon teaches. And it's been a learning process in a lot of ways for me. Part of it is I've I've read so many times that the Gentiles would stumble, and this was why the the Book of Mormon came to us in God's mm-hmm. mercy. He wanted us to have the plain truth. And so in some of my journeyings, I've been trying to understand, well, what are some of the, why do some of the other denominations believe what they believe about their version of Christianity? And did you know, Mike, I, I read this, that in 2010, someone did some study that they said there's like, if you go back from Jesus till now, they can verify like 43,000 different variations of Christianity that have existed. 43,000? And mm. it's like, you know, I, th- I think there's about 37,000 verses in the Bible, and you consider that, you know, Christians could probably take every single verse and see it a different way and divide over that, you know? That's crazy. And I wonder what that word, uh, so st- stumbling um, what that looks like in our walk with God. What does that mean that there are Gentiles stumbling? Well, it's interesting because what I'm seeing too is that, uh, you know, that's probably one of those ones you could go and, and find meaning looking up an original Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. Of it, and I haven't really done that. But um, but what's interesting is that God never says he like rejected all the Gentiles because of doctrinal error necessarily. And I and I'm not trying to take this to final judgment or anything like this, but what I'm saying is that in his mercy, he said, no, I want you to know how to come to me. That's what the Book of Mormon says. It's like He said, I wanted to give the Gentiles the same opportunity that the people had in Israel when my apostles were there, when they heard the word impureness, plainness. Yeah, yeah. doesn't it say, and you have these words, so you, know, you will know how, how to come to me. It's, in exactly. other words, you can't come to... You can't come to Christ outside of those words. There must be a specific path. There must be a specific way or a, a specific um, set of understanding that the human heart, God wants us to understand and to know. And that's why he says, you have these words so that you will know how to come to me. Yeah. and, it, and it's, Or so that you'll know how to come to me, So it's as you would say. First book of Nephi, chapter 4 um, it just explains this whole process that the fullness of the gospel would come to the Gentiles. And this is where Nephi is using this word grafting. And he says, uh, you know, this thing, which our father means concerning the grafting in of the natural branches through the fullness of the Gentiles is that in the latter days, when our seed Nephi's people would have dwindled in unbelief for a long time, and many generations after the Messiah manifested himself in body to everyone, then the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah would come to the Gentiles and from the Gentiles back to his people eventually. And then it says this, but he said, 
then shall they come to the knowledge of their forefathers, and they'll also come to the knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer, which was ministered unto their fathers by him. And then here's the verse you just mentioned. Wherefore, they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer and the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. And in that day, won't they rejoice and give praise to their everlasting God, their rock and their Redeemer. And that's, that's a foundation for all of our hope. Yeah. Is there there ha- well? Let's say that there has to be a foundation for all of our hope. I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago. You know, if Christianity, if we lined up everybody in this world and they were all in one big pot, you could pick almost three people out of that pot, and they wouldn't be Christian. And then you pick a Christian out, mm. one of forty thousand different varieties. Right yeah, there, you go. Right. right <laughs> and then you right. pick another three people out of the pot and another Christian. And just imagine that the only. Almost three. Only 31% of the world, number one, is Christian. And among Christianity, as you said, you know, all kinds of different mm-hmm. uh, beliefs. And so you think about our foundation and what it's built on and the fact that, uh, that Buddhism is 6% of the world. And that's built the foundation for Buddhism is that a man walked out one day, sat down under a tree, and just started thinking about life. And thinking about, and he went within himself, and you have to believe that, man, there had to have been some other spirit other than the spirit of God, obviously, because he didn't come to any knowledge of Jesus, right. but he came up with this religion, this, these these pillars of religion, and they're moral, and they're good, and that you die, and you're resurrected, and you die, and you're resurrected, and eventually you mold into this huge uh, soul of the universe, uh, but to think that you know, a billion people or millions of people have that as their foundation. Right, right, that that idea just kind of spawned off and generated its yeah. following. Yeah, between that and Hinduism, you have almost as many uh, people, which they're similar in nature. One, one, one came from the other. I won't get into all the details. I preached about that. But uh, they don't have just one God. They believe in many gods. There's one God that uh, they worship primarily. But there's no holy word. It's just word written by men who have looked within themselves and find this moral code and righteousness. And to have that be your foundation to think like when your heart stops beating, Corey, and you go into the ground, you, you're going to come back as another person and go through this life all over again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. You know, this is interesting too, that the book of Mormon uses these two words called the way. And I, and I always knew, you know, Jesus was the way Jesus is the way, the light, the truth. Um, but the, the words that Nephi uses are interesting because these scriptures that we wrangle over, uh, we meaning Gentile Christians, are, are usually because someone has taken a little slice, a slice of a scripture out of context, and they've made that their mantra. The, the thing that I found the Book of Mormon does so well is it enables us to read with a certain surety and confidence the whole Bible. We can read. We can read all of it because the Book of Mormon puts it all in context. We we can see how. Oh yeah, because we can learn from the Book of Mormon about the Mosaic Law. We can learn that Paul was talking about the Mosaic Law when he was talking about hey the law of works and the law of you know Torah and all that. And and so sometimes I mean it's because of for me personally my 
reading the Book of Mormon that it's it's brought light and truth to the to the Bible. And I've realized we don't have to just copy out a little scripture and say, okay, this is you know, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you'll be saved. You know, it's like we don't have to just take that one. We can see all of them now because we can see that. And this was the point of of Nephi is he said. It isn't just that you got baptized in water. It isn't just that you believe. It's like in our previous podcast, <laughs> we talk about this prodigal who comes, that the heart changes, and all these things we do, con- confession of sin and, and being baptized in water, these are all acts of submission that bring us into the way, or bring us through the gate, rather, so that once we're through the gate, now it's called being in the way, where our whole life then is this outpouring of, of fruit of the of, of bearing good fruit by being led by his spirit, by his word, communicating with him in prayer. Enticed by the Holy Spirit, yeah. And that one you said right there, you've mentioned that several times in class, and we haven't keyed in on that yet, but there's the Book of Mormon is very clear that you once you're in the way, you endure through prayer. And that we talked about prayer last time. But I wanted to, to say that the Book of Mormon sheds light on the way, it, it sheds light on the righteousness of Christ uh, compared to the Bible, the, that the robe of righteousness is being closed with purity. It sheds light on the fact that the atoning blood of Christ saves us over and over again. It talks about this. And the neat thing is it's talking about that atoning blood of Christ thousands of years before, you know, through the whole history, not just after he comes. It's so clear that the history of the people in this book know about the atoning blood of Christ from the get-go all the way up until he appears to them. Yeah, that and has so, to be, I was just going to say, that has to be the biggest difference between the Nephite collection of writings and any other collection of spiritual writings in times B.C. is that these people understood that all these sacrifices pointed towards the Messiah. They, 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 that was clear to them from the beginning. Right, and and this idea of being a, having a broken heart and a contrite spirit is the, is the only way to be cleansed by God, coming to him, desiring him only, and that the way that you receive that hope, I believe, is this message that it's actually possible, that you're not going to continually fail at trying to keep some law or, or, or 600 commandments, but that it is possible to be saved because he is mighty to save and to cover you uh, from your failures as long as you are continually seeking him out. So the Book of Mormon becomes like this. Not only is it a, a great guide and the words are are so clear on how to come to Christ. It's a roadmap then when you go back and read the Bible to understand the Bible better because it's this unpolluted history of, it's just, uh, yeah, a roadmap to understanding the Bible scriptures as well as we've talked about some of those, you know, the prodigal son and the prayers and... Um, well, I just it, all this studying for me recently in preparation for class has been, it's been eye-opening because I've realized that on pretty much every level, you see the extremes of, you know, some people saying no baptism is necessary. Baptism isn't part of the gospel. You know, you get people taking a few scriptures out of context to show that. Or you get the extreme where it's like baptism is so important, you have to baptize your infants or they're going to hell, you know. And and, and you see how in, in a lot of cases it's always the same situation where there's a scripture that says something, but if, if you just read it by itself, you can come to almost any conclusion. Again, 43,000 different versions of Christianity sort of suggest that. But when you read the Book of Mormon, you can come back and see these things in a beautiful context, which Nephi wraps it up so well in a way that I can't I can't find in one single spot in the in the Bible uh, where it's stated the same way. And not that the people didn't understand it that way, just where it's shared in plain words 
where he says, after you've received this Holy Ghost, which you know, you've come in this gate and, and, and you've done these acts of submission, not that they're works of ours, they're just things that Jesus said, hey, I did these things, you do them too. And you know, in class, we've gone through the, the reasons for it all. But he says, once you've ex- received this Holy Ghost, which you've witnessed now to the Father, and that now this is his promise to you of of his end of the deal, that, hey, I'm giving you this Holy Ghost as a reminder that you're going to be with me again. He said, but he asked this question, Second Nephi 13, verse 27. I would ask, after you've gotten in the straight and narrow path, if all is done, and he says unto you, no, you know, and this is that, this is the, beautiful point where it's wrapping up all these ideas of faith and repentance and baptism and the Holy Spirit is that, no, this got you to the starting point that now being led by God's Spirit, acknowledging that he is our Father and the Creator, now we are supposed to live and breathe in him, being led by his Spirit, taught by his Word, and communicate with him in prayer. And through that, bear this fruit the rest of our lives. And that's that's what we're judged by. Did we do that? And did we bear this fruit? Meaning, did we realize our unworthiness and how we don't deserve to be as children? And you know, and the, and the, it's sad that that um, there's ministers and and whole denominations and and followings that they never get past. Like their whole mission is to prove that baptism's necessary or to prove that baptism's not necessary. And it's like that's not even that's just the gate. That's not even. That's just the gate. It's 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 the important. It's the only way to enter in, but it's just the gate. And and so you have this this way. You talked about uh, yielding to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, and it says that once you're in the way, that you're to become as a little child again. The, the, I think the Bible speaks on that as well as the Book of Mormon. But but to be um, submissive, meek, humble, full of love willing to submit to the Father and all and and all things that he will afflict upon you. And there's a great, I think, a great Hebrew writing, kind of like in the Old Testament where it says, and God repented, and, and you know, in the inspired version, we change that. We say, oh, God would never repent. You know, we don't want people to, to think wrongly. But I, I believe that was the way they would speak back then, even though it didn't mean what we say. So when it says, seeing fit, to you know, submit to all things the Father will inflict upon you. There's not a God up there saying, "Corey, <laughs> take this and let's see how you hold up." It, it's uh, <laughs> that He allows the the sins of this world and stuff to to come into our lives and affect us and have it be in opposition to what we're going through. And and we are inflicted with these things, but we are willing to submit to God and realize that as I go through these things, um, that He's there and that His ways will will get me through no matter what what happens. Amen. That's not. And so that's another example. But but that becoming as a little child, that's if you want to label something a work, that's. That takes a lifetime of effort. It's not like we sit around and do nothing and say the Christ's going to save me. It's it's no. You have to come to Him and pray that that you can become as a little child, um, relying wholly upon His merits. I mean, how hard is that as we're adults to rely wholly on God again? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many? I want to. I have learned. I've got my own traditions, my own way of dealing with things, my habits of anger and uprising when people wrong me. I mean. Golly, how do you become as a child again? Yeah, wow, wow. No, that's that's really that's the essence of it. I think is that um, 
it all comes back to that. And I, I'm just thankful for this Book of Mormon. I know we've said it a hundred times, but it seems like a new book every time I read it because of these plain understandings that teach us that um, all these scriptures he gave us are true, and they've been telling the same message since the beginning. And my heart has just gone out. I, I actually am just starting to feel sorry for these people. You know, I've shared some videos in class, uh, little snippets of sermons or classes taught by other people. And, and when they isolate a single scripture, and like you say, they'll spend their existence trying to prove we don't need to be baptized. But it's like missing the point. You know, it's like all of a sudden having to defend these little pieces of territory that, you know, they're missing the bigger message of Jesus through it all. And and I'm just thankful because these scriptures we have talk about a day when we will actually see eye to eye. And, you know, this whole, this era of squabbling about differences in doctrine eventually becomes behind us. And and I think it's because of the Book of Mormon. If I, if I read the prophecies right, it's when Israel returns to God because they found the truth in this world and his arm is made bare, and then the whole world sees it, and, and something happens in the world and changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I love this aspect of it's not just that I got baptized or even the term that I'm I'm feeling like we've used in the wrong way where we say he joined the church, you know, he joined the church. It's it's different than that. It's walking in the way. It's it's you know. I love. Wouldn't it be great if we we started using that language? To this this morning, little ones, you've entered into the way. Yep, we you've entered in. into the gate, and so now let's talk about the journey and, right. and what 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 do we do now? Have you done everything? No, no, we haven't. No, you're not done. And 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 to add to your point, that churches, our churches specifically in in the restoration would view our mission as to nourish and sustain us as we walk in the way. Because for me, and I know this is going to sound negative, I don't mean it to, we in our generation have have this idea that, well, we're supposed to build the kingdom, but we're just going to kind of sit around and wait until we see something come down out of heaven. You know, I know I'm, I'm exaggerating that. But this, it's, it's different because it, it always puts our purpose out like we our purpose is still something in the future but it's like no our purpose for right now every day is for the church to sustain all those who come in at the gate and help us walk in the way and <clears throat> you know i went to a wednesday night church service last night and uh, it was interesting because when prayer and testimony time came it's like everyone who testified had something to say about the Book of Mormon uses this term, that they talked about the welfare of their souls. This is this is a statement after Jesus had said, hey, the law of Moses is done, and now, you know, worship was going to be a lot different because we weren't sacrificing animals under the Mosaic law. But it says they came and they talked about the welfare of their soul and how that was, in, it's interesting to me because in this very small little meeting of people last night, that's what everyone did. And, and this idea that we're all journeying through this life together and some of us are at different points and some of us have different trials, but but that the purpose of the church is to sustain our, our souls in this way that just look at the here and now and think, how can we... How can we help each other walk in this way? You know, how can we keep each other on this on this road? You know, we're walking each other home, like we right. say, you know. Sometimes when I'm driving, I've done this exercise a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. I, I leave the radio off. I, I set my true, com- 
true crime podcast aside and uh, and uh, try to enter into that meditation. And I'll ask a question or I'll pretend that I'm talking to someone that, that may be at a different place in their life or you know, sometimes they don't even know about Jesus or sometimes they know about Jesus but are confused. And I'll have this conversation in my head and I just practice speaking to them about salvation in my own terms, mm-hmm. not in my own terms, in my own words right. based on the scriptures that that I know, and I try to make it, I try to continually simplify it and make it as easy to understand as possible. And I think, well, one of the things that, that I believe to simply say is you have to get to the point in this world that all you want is, is God in Christ. That's that, because that's all there is in the end. Um, you have to come to the point that you want him that you want his ways, like like the prodigal son. He just wanted to be with the father, a servant in his house, because he realized that that has everything that he needs. Yeah. And to stop pursuing and filling your needs with um, with things other than him because it's unsatisfying. And so that's that's like the goal, right? But how do you get to that point? And that, that phrase, yielding to the enticings of the Spirit, that's a really is a key because that's another, uh, I read a scripture. I don't remember which one it is in the Book of Mormon, but it says you either yield to the will of the Holy Spirit that wills you to do good or you yield to the will of the flesh. Mm, Yeah. And so we think that, yes, we are making a choice in my understanding where I'm at today. I believe, yes, we choose, we make choices but the Holy Spirit is there to entice us with those choices. Um, I found the scripture. I want to just yeah, on. yeah. Mo- Mosiah, it's King Benjamin speech. Mosiah one verse one twenty. I think this is it. Anyhow, so um, this is like his his final speech. His gather the people. I want to speak to them before I leave this world. Type yeah, thing. Yeah, and but it, I'm just jumping in the middle. Uh, there's more before it, but it says, but if he yieldeth to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. And then it says, and becometh as a child. This is what a saint is, a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things that the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him. You use mm-hmm. that word, even as a child doth submit to his father. You know, that's that's the walk. I- I believe there's a scripture that actually has the parallel right in it, uh, the will of the flesh or the will of spirit, either mentioned within a verse or two verses. seems like I read it recently, but what what I keyed in on that was like, it says it wills you to do good. Uh, you, you get this great picture of the spirit being right there with you, helping you, wanting you to be good, helping to entice you. That, that word enticement, yeah, you're, you're being enticed. I think we talked about that versus entrapment, you know, in law enforcement. But uh, there's something there working on you. Will you yield to it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, my mind's going back to this. I think it's really beautiful when you consider if, if the point isn't, hey, we just got baptized. It's like you said, it's just a gate. Um, and, and the church can't just be, hey, let's just get people through the gate. Then a bunch of people are on the other side of the gate now saying, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're waiting around until the kingdom comes, but at least you're through the gate, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, um, this is from Moroni 6, 6. The church did meet together oft to fast and pray. And it's interesting that they met together to fast. You know, usually fasting is something maybe we do individually and then 
uh, we, we come, I guess we fast through Sunday school unless you bring snacks, <laughs> you know, but the church, so they, they meant to fast and pray and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. And they did meet together off to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. But I like that part. They met together to speak concerning the welfare of their souls. I just feel like that's part of this journey in the way that, you know, God's, God's not promising that when you come in at the gate, everything's done. Now you're, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have obstacles. My spirit is here to lead you. My word is here to guide you. My prayer is always available to you to communicate back. And and then your your soul will have troubles. Your soul will have challenges. But that that the purpose of the church then was so that they could sustain their their soul's welfare. You know, I just so you that. said there was testimonies last night where they they spoke of the welfare of their souls. Was that like the theme, or did it just no, happen no. that that's what? In, in fact, I think the theme was something different. But it's just things kind of gravitate. You know, I just, I just, um, I don't know. I I think that's um, it, it really it really sustains people. You know, sometimes just to have this ability to just kind of say where you're at and be honest about it, but. Um, and it's it's more than just what's on your mind, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I I guess for me though, I've just realized the Book of Mormon is such a treasure of of truth, and and I've really started feeling literally sorry now for so many generations of people that have accepted <laughs> have accepted um, incomplete truth as this is the whole story now, and it's like. You know, just so many, so many denominations are guilty of that, and just realizing what a treasure it is that we don't have to do that. We can look at all these words and not have to say, um, for instance, like I heard uh, the other day uh, in class, I, I was talking about the fact that, like in the Old Testament, they never used the word willful. I think it occurs in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, um, the willfulness to sin was translated in. The stubbornness. The stubbornness, right. But the word willful is in the Book of Mormon, and willful has this nuance of, hey, the, the will versus just being ignorant. Well, so looking up something else I saw on YouTube the other day, um, you know how a lot of people will pre will, will put up old sermons of and who at whatever church they went to, but I saw this picture of a gentleman, and it's an old sermon from someone's church, and this man was apparently a famous uh, like Baptist preacher, and the title was, what, what happens if we willfully sin? And, and he quotes in the New Testament, but what he starts quoting is this. He, he says, well, you know, there's a scripture that says if we willfully sin, but, you know, I want to tell you right now, it's not what it means because, you know, you can't lose your salvation. And he, like, he goes and he takes this whole scripture and turns it around and starts saying, well, it's not what it says it means because he's limited himself to a few scriptures, which he thinks has become yeah. the doctrine. Yeah, I had a friend, uh, a real estate agent, actually, that helped us a couple of times buy a house, and um, he... He was a Christian and he had a lot of videos and he was always wanting to give me some videos to watch. And we were talking one day and he talked about like, once you're saved, you're always saved and that you can't fall. And I said, well, what if you, I said, what if you would go out tomorrow and just commit this terrible sin or do whatever, you know, gave some examples. He said, oh, the Lord wouldn't let me. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I I guess he'd take my life or something first, but it was just really ingrained in him once he was saved that was sure. I mean, he was always saved from his perspective, irregardless of the changed heart. And 
the Book of Mormon would say, well, if you if you're going to go out and do some cr- crazy, terrible sin, that your heart isn't changed. It's not wanting the will of Christ. You know, it's wanting the will of your flesh. And yeah, so there's no brokenness and contriteness there. If you continue to to sin and seek the ways of the world, because you you said a prayer one day that you were saved and that you will be saved. Yeah, and I love this. The Book of Mormon tells a complete picture that you know it, everything does start with that prayer and that willingness, but it's that it it has to result in changing you. It can't just be well, I I I went to this church once. It was really cool. They had this really cool band, and you know it felt really good. And at the end, they asked everyone who wanted to be a Christian. So I went up there and I said this prayer with the pastor. He kind of took me in another room and he he shared a few things. And now he patted me on the back, and said, "Now you're a Christian. Just just keep coming to church and you know do these things." But it's like the the Book of Mormon, you know, and that may have been sincere. That may have been 100 percent sincere for someone. And that's where it all starts with. But but the Book of Mormon points out the sincerity of repentance needs to bring a lifelong change. And it's not that we a sin somehow uh, makes us unworthy of salvation because it's not a license to sin either. But but the Book of Mormon points out that it's those, just like the willfulness to, to sin is different than maybe sin and ignorance. At the same time, it describes those who knew the commandments and willfully rebelled. He said they have no part in the first resurrection. That's the that's the point the Book of Mormon makes is that when it's your will, when you willfully don't want it, that's that's the problem. It's not it's not that hey I fell and I but I got back up because the Lord says hey I'll forgive my people. And that's there's a contrast there. That willfulness that means not only are you willfully following the flesh, but you're also willfully ignoring the enticings of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and so I think. That's why there's a fair difference between those who uh, have known and had opportunity and rebel. That willfulness is different than those who did not have opportunity to know the law and rebel because perhaps the enticings of the Spirit in their life is not there, that, that baptism of the Spirit, that, that gift of, of uh, being drawn by the Spirit isn't the same um, because they didn't have a chance to know the law. But when you when you have the Spirit and the ability to yield to its enticings and you willfully follow the flesh, you're, you're willfully doing that and you're willfully ignoring the enticings of the Holy Spirit. And yeah. that's really, that's one of those hard questions we need to ask ourselves. In, in, are there areas in my life that I'm willfully doing what I know uh, is not what the Spirit's leading me to do because yeah. I just want to do my fleshly thing. Yeah, that's that's the question. When Abinadi teaches, and the Book of Mormon teaches this, he, he basically lists four, four groups of people. Um, he, he says, and, and he's talking about this in terms of the resurrection. So I don't know that this means it's final, final judgment. You know, we, we get some information from the Doctrine and Covenants that, that sheds light on it, but not not going there right now. He he says he talks about in the eighth chapter of uh, Mosiah. He says these are they who have part in the first resurrection. Now that that would be in his day <clears throat> when Jesus was resurrected, because this was all even in times BC. But the principle is the same, whether or not we think of it as something that happened then, or something that will happen when Jesus comes and the millennium starts. But th- he says. He says this. This uh, is starting about the 56th verse, and he says, There cometh a resurrection, even a first resurrection, of all those who've been 
which are, which shall be till the resurrection of Christ. And now the resurrection of all the people who believe the prophets and their words, he said, they're going to come forth in the first resurrection. I think we touched on this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but it just bears again in this conversation because it says those are the ones raised to dwell with God and he's redeemed them. So these, these are the ones who came in the gate and walked in the way. You know, that's what it means. You, you followed the commandments. You, you had the Holy Spirit. It, it led you. You tried. It didn't mean that you arrived at some perfection in this world and that you were able to somehow remove your sin. It doesn't mean that. But it's it's basically saying, too, that God doesn't have a bunch, big list of technicalities that he's trying to hide us, hide salvation from us somehow. He's like, no, you walk in this way. And he said, you can have eternal life. That's what the Book of Mormon teaches. But then he says this. He said, these are they who also have part in the first resurrection, those who died before Christ came in ignorance, not having salvation declared to them. So it's like if we were talking millennium, he's saying these are the ones who come forth, right, people who died. But then he says, and little children have eternal life. But he said, fear and tremble, because he says, you need to know that the Lord redeemeth none such that rebel against him and die in their sins. And this is where the will comes in. And it says in verse 62, even all those who have perished in their sins since the world began that have willfully rebelled against God. And then it classifies it, that have known the commandments of God and would not keep them. These are they who have no part in the first resurrection. You know, that's that's pretty significant there. It's like, no, you knew and you chose not to. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's a difference between someone who's trying to lead a good life and might, you know, screw up now and then. But versus someone's like, no, I know exactly what that is, and I don't want it. So here's a here's a question. It, it may seem off topic, but I don't think it is because you'd mentioned uh, something about uh, the thief on the cross, and this is another area I believe Christianity. And since we just passed through the Easter season or the resurrection uh, season, people uh, like to go over what we know very very little about, but so very very point. And at the very center of the Christian religion is Jesus Christ on the cross and all of the events surrounding that. And so here are these two, I, I hate to go, is it two, th- does it actually say two thieves? But there's two, two men on the cross with him. Yeah, it says malefactors, which are like, yeah, uh, criminals. These two malefactors. Exactly. Yeah, two malefactors. Silly people. They silly were malefactor. on the cross with Jesus and two different attitudes portrayed, but we really know very little about the background of their life as far as the Bible goes. We just know what their attitude was in one point in time. We have no idea. Well, I was going to say, too, that uh, people often use the thief on the cross as, uh, you know, and there were two, not one, but as this, well, he wasn't baptized, and what did Jesus say to him? Well, there's, there's a lot we can learn from the Book of Mormon. First of all is there's no proof that he wasn't baptized either. You know, you there one of the people hanging in the middle had been baptized and they crucified him, right? You know, Jesus. That's what, that's my very, yeah, my very first thought is uh, the Bible doesn't say that he wasn't baptized. No, I mean, the Bible, in, as far as I know, both of those men could have been baptized or not baptized. We don't know. Yeah. But, but again, it doesn't go back. That's just the gate. It has to go with their type of life. And apparently, one of those men had lived the type of life that had brought his heart to a certain condition. Now, whether he got caught stealing a loaf of bread one day and put on a cross or not, 
his heart was surely in a different place than the other ones. I mean, exactly. what's the contrast between the two? Yeah, and that's it. That's the whole contrast. That's why, you know, this whole thief on the cross story with Jesus in the middle is the type and shadow for all humanity. You know, Jesus died immortal with all of us to die the death that we were going to die, you know, this awful suffering without him. And the only difference, again, it even says there was one on his right hand and one on the left, is the attitude of the heart that changed. Now, what's fascinating by this is for a lot of Christians who look at that and he says, Jesus says, hey, I say to you today, uh, you'll be with me in paradise. Um, that because a lot of Gentiles don't believe, they don't know the whole story either that, hey, it isn't just you die and go to heaven, that's it. God's kingdom is coming back to earth. There's, there's a first resurrection, there's a final resurrection, there's a final judgment. Not to make it too te- too technical, but this is no different than when the destruction happens in America, and this is at the time of Jesus' death, and then there's three days of darkness, and, and a lot of people get killed, a lot of bad things happen. But when Jesus comes to the people, he says, blessed are you because you are the more righteous, right? Mm-hmm. And and so paradise is this thing that the Book of Mormon teaches. This is beautiful. This is why I love this, is the, the Book of Mormon, is that it teaches that everyone, when we die in this life, we go to meet God. I mean, when this spirit leaves the body, this is what is taught in Alma 19, Alma's teaching his son. The the spirit is sent to either paradise or a place that's not paradise. And those souls come back to the earth. This is why Joseph Smith, I believe, writes, hey, I saw these really bright souls. They're like celestial. And I saw these that weren't so bright. They were like terrestrial, but they all come back to the earth. People who had a, a, a good heart go to this paradise, but it's not final, final judgment. In other words, when people come back to the earth and live in that thousand years, the work isn't done. There's still a thousand years to go. You know, I, I think this is why the Book of Mormon is so beautiful, is that it's it's teaching that God makes all things new. And I can't wait. Uh, April 11th, I think, is going to be the class at Colburn where we talk about the thief on the cross. I've been asked about this two or three times. Can't wait to go into detail on this. But the fact is there's there's another aspect to this too. Just, just like when all these people in Nephi's day at the time of Jesus' arrival after the three days of darkness, you know, people had been being baptized before then, thousands were brought to repentance, the Lamanites and some and the Nephites, and and they're having great success. And so all that's recorded in times BC. But Jesus arrives and he says to the people, Behold, I make all things new. And what happens? Nephi, the guy who'd been baptizing, he goes in the water and he's baptized. He's already been baptized before, but so is everyone else in the culture who's of age, not the children. And when Jesus says, I make all things new, Upon his arrival, the whole culture gets brought up to speed, and they're all baptized with the Holy Ghost, every single one of them, all the people of age. And the children have even greater blessings. Fire comes down and surrounds them and all that. But but the whole point is that when Jesus makes all things new, he takes all these people who are not—he says, hey, you are saved because you are the perfect, and you were only the ones who had already been baptized. He doesn't say that. He says, you are just the ones who are more righteous. Well, he starts everyone off from square one together, and the culture thrives for, for hundreds of years. Well, guess what he says when the millennium starts? 
I make all things new. Mm-hmm. So, so what's going to happen? And see, this is the whole thief on the cross. It really doesn't matter if he was baptized or not. I'm, I'm going to say maybe he wasn't, but because his heart was different, he gets a chance to be resurrected. And isn't that beautiful? Because that's the story of the restored gospel. You know, there's, and this is why I cannot wait for April 11th. I'm, I'm been anxious to teach this next week is going to be a little shorter class. We're going to wrap up some stuff on baptism on the fourth, but I'm, I just think this is so important that we see this. It's a beautiful, beautiful answer to these questions that we've got. So are you holding out now because you're going to be teaching class at Colburn, or you got more info on this? <laughs> you know me. I never tell. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I just think that I'm excited about this because, you know, whether the world sees it or not, uh, you know, there, it doesn't matter. But the the answers are totally there, and we can see through the patterns of history Uh you know, I, I was just searching this week. You just search the term all things new, and you see when Jesus says this, it happens again when there's a new heaven and a new earth. I make all things new, right? But, you know, he's got a marvelous plan. And so going to paradise just means, hey, guess what? You know, this may have been the example of a guy who lived his life in ignorance, and maybe he didn't realize who this guy was until he was on the cross. But his changed heart mattered to God, just like the prodigal who came back to him. We don't know how many years the prodigal son lived after that. Maybe maybe he got sick and died. You know, and I would say that. That doesn't really matter. The whole point is that it could have been in the very end of his life when he came back to him, too. You know, it wasn't like he was still a, a rebellious teenager. Yeah, it's always careful not to read too much into what we know, but God gives us enough, and so we should focus on what we do know. And and I think what we do know about the thief, the two different mindsets on the cross, I'm curious if the one that that says, you know, remember me in your kingdom, if he was on the right side, and I wonder if the he one— had to be. And I wonder if the one that said save us was on the left side uh, he for has, symbolism. He has to be. For symbolism, it has to be that way. And that's why, you know, you think the most important— thing of all scripture, of all human history, is the fact that our Savior came and took on flesh and died so that our sin could be removed. It took that sacrifice so that our sin could be removed. And you'd think, couldn't he have had just the spotlight that day on his own? You know, couldn't, why wasn't he just the one crucified? But these other two people, you know, like I said, they, they in, a, in a sense, represent all of humanity. Either your heart acknowledges he's God or your heart, you know, the other guy's like, just get me off of this cross, right? If you're so great, you know, it's like they, he may have even acknowledged he was God in that sense, you know, but in the whole, he said, if you're God, save me. Or if you're, that's interesting because that is probably one of the key components. The one that said, the one that did speak to him, did recognize his power. He just said, this guy didn't do anything wrong. We are suffering for our sins. Yeah. And remember me when you come into your kingdom so he did recognize him, I believe, in his heart. Isn't that total humility, Where, though? You know, coming to him again in humility like the prodigal. Whereas the other man probably was a doubter, but maybe just a last last minute, well, hey, if you are, if you're God, then save us, save us. And it was all about, and see, it was like, well, do something for me. You know, it was like, you know, get me off of here. The other guy's like, no, I'm suffering for the crime I committed, but this guy didn't suffer. And it's just like, Jesus took the cross and didn't have to, and yet that was all of our crosses. That was the end for all of us. So we're the ones who are worthy of the punishment. It's interesting, too. I, I think I like this uh, about the story that both of the other people hanging on crosses with Jesus had committed the same crime. 
which it's not like it was saying one guy was a murderer and the other was an adulterer or something like that because forever Christians would wrangle and there'd be 143,000 different Christian denominations because everyone would divide over which sin was the, the worst, right? <laughs> right. But, but the fact that they were both guilty of the same crime is that all humanity was guilty of sin, and it's it was kind of like it put us all on a level playing field. And so the only thing that comes out different isn't the degree of the sin. It was the degree of the attitude towards God and our unworthiness. Yeah. You mentioned <clears throat> when Jesus... Uh, when he comes back in the millennium, he says he'll make all things new. And that's a reoccurring um, theme in the scriptures. And we, we wonder, like, what, what can we do today? Like you said, walking in the way after you've entered in the gate. What's that look like? It, one of my favorite psalms is when David uh, says, this is completely taking you know his uh, eyes off of himself and what can I do to fix what I've done? What can I do to come back into the presence? And he simply says in, in Psalms 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Yeah, That's David going to the source and saying, fix me, mm-hmm. you change my heart. I, I'm just coming to you. That's my work. I'm coming to you and asking you. I can't I can't become righteous. Just create a new heart in me. Renew a right spirit in me. And and in Romans, Paul talks about what can we do each day, Corey? Uh, don't be conformed to this world. Don't don't listen to the truth of this world, the the reality of this world, the depression of this world, the the lack of hope in this world. Don't mm-hmm. don't be taken in by all of that. He says, but be transformed by what renewing of your mind, renewing of your mind. That means maybe those moments when we, we talk about prayer where we're, we're not just supplicating and earnestly asking God all the time, but that we, we sit there in silence and allow the truth and the reality of, of what we know and all that we've read about him to, to come in and fill us that this is truth. And renewing your mind, I don't know of any better way to renew your mind than to constantly be in the Word of God, the simple Word of God, you know, found in the Book of Mormon, um, and just reminding yourself, this is truth. There's, yeah. there's been times when life has been so dark and difficult, and yet we we try to be diligent about uh, presenting just an hour a week of talking about the things of the kingdom. There's been times when in that moment when we're actually reading the Word of God out loud, that I, I feel just enveloped. This is not some supernatural thing. This is truth and reality. I feel enveloped in safety and comfort as those words flow out into the, the space around us and we just hear them read. There is a power there that that is truth, that that is foundation. And there's been times when we're done and the headphones come off and the world flows back in. Um, that those moments are needed. But in that moment, uh, in that moment, it's the only comfort sometimes. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I I fully believe this, what you just said about the renewing of your mind. I, I fully believe if you read the Book of Mormon, the words in there will renew your mind. It will bring you back to, a like you say, this level of security and comfort um, and peace that, is unlike any other book out there, and, I, and I'm not putting down the Bible, for instance, in that manner. But it, there's some sometimes reading scriptures out of the Bible uh, can can require so much other explanation. Where in the Book of Mormon it doesn't. But like you say, 
this passion, if this passion is, Lord, create in us a, a new heart, a new mind, um, he will answer that, and he, he does that through through his word and his spirit. And I don't know, I just I just find that the, these words in here bring that to me too, this this comfort, this renewal. Um, well, as, as uh, last, last uh, podcast we talked about uh, Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes, one of the, I remember one of the quotes in that book, he was talking about how often we're not in silence and how the words and the philosophies and the thoughts of this world bombard us constantly, especially when we carry these things around in our pocket all the time that have a, that are just basically a window into every manner of evil and filth and opinion that has nothing to do with God in the whole world. You know, the internet's here in our pocket and videos and people's opinions and, and there's so much good out there, but you have to seek it out. It's like the bad doesn't, it just, it's just there. there. It, 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 it fills every nook and cranny. Yeah. Every, yeah. every, every crooked nanny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, so this guy said, he said, I was sitting in the airport and I, I counted. He said, I heard seven different conversations going on in phones within like, you know, 20 feet of me. And he said, I was in the first circle of hell. <laughs> just, just the uh, fact that we're always bombarded with all this stuff. Yeah, so yeah. renewing your mind and renewing your, your spirit, but act asking the source to come in and renew your spirit and your mind. That's the work of, of Christ. And that's part of being on the way. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? And but you know, to your point, uh, it's funny you mentioned that airport story. Uh, my wife and I were traveling, and we were just eating at a little diner restaurant in between flights a couple years ago. And I remember sitting there, and I pointed this out to her. I said, from this vantage point, I can see thirteen different televisions, and it wasn't all just in the one little location. It wasn't like a sports bar thing, but it had. But from where I was at. Wherever you're at, your eye could not glance without seeing some image with a message, with a purpose to generally sell you something, uh, you know, going. And it's like the way we renew our mind is when we shut all that stuff off and when we can just find God in, in our, like like the Book of Mormon teaches, in our wilderness, you know, in our spaces where it's just him and I. And, and that's that's when I think he's He's ready to meet you. He's ready to to teach you what it's like to find that renewed heart. And, and that peace that you can't find any other place. Well, the Book of Mormon teaches that this life is the time to prepare to meet God, a time to, uh, it's our probationary state. It says that when we leave this world, the spirit that possesses our body will be the spirit that possesses our body in, e- in the, the, uh, the next world, in the eternity. And you don't want to... You don't want to have a willfully rebellious spirit follow you into eternity because you got a thousand work. years of prison to get that spirit out of you, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to be with be with him in paradise today. But um, entering into the way, renewing your mind daily—that's it's an important thing to do. It's, it's imminent that we all do that. It's necessary we all do that. Yeah, and if we do, we will be walking each other home. Anything else? No, until next time, thank you. All right.